So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. 
And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Amen. Welcome to church on this Easter Sunday. My name is Adam. I'm part of the team here. And it's so great to be together today to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is one of the most important issues that we could consider. In fact, an Australian journalist was once interviewed about her faith. And she was asked what she would do if it could somehow be proven that Jesus Christ had not been raised from the dead. Now she considered the the question for a moment and then she replied and said, I think my faith would be strong enough to survive that. Now on the surface, her response may sound noble, but with all due respect, it's nonsense. And the passage that we just read from the Bible a moment ago, it says the complete opposite. It said that if Jesus Christ has not been raised from death, then the Christian faith should and would die. It would not survive. In fact, it said if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is useless. I might as well stop right now and we might as well go home. Maybe that sounds good to some of you. (laughs) It said if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile. Our devotion to Christ is pointless, worthless, useless. Which is why it's said at the end, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we Christians are to be pitied more than anyone else on the planet. And this is why. If you're not a Christian here this morning, maybe you've been invited to church, maybe you've been dragged along to church this morning, but you do not have a faith in Jesus. You believe that perhaps the resurrection of Jesus is fiction, made up, not true. Then let me invite you to help us Christians see the light. Give us your best arguments for why the resurrection is false. Help us out of this mess that we find ourselves in because our own scriptures tell us that if Christ has not been raised, then we are deluded and we are to be pitied. But let me also invite you to ponder the question, what if Jesus Christ really has been raised? What if the tomb really was empty on that first Easter Sunday? What if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is fact, not fiction? Because this is the very claim that was made in verse 20. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. 
That is, on a Friday in Jerusalem in the first century, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was dead, crucified, and buried. But then on Sunday morning, God raised him from the dead. Not just metaphorically, not just spiritually, but historically and physically. The tomb was really empty. Jesus Christ was really raised. This is the claim of the Bible. This is the bedrock of what we believe. And if this is true, it changes everything. It means death does not have the final say. God does. It means evil will not triumph. God will. It means Jesus Christ is the true king of this world. This is why one author by the name of Timothy Keller, he says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. This is the key question. Is it true? Did Jesus Christ really rise from the grave? If it's not true, Christianity comes tumbling down and we might as well go home. But if it is true, it changes everything about our world and our lives. It means Jesus Christ is the true king of this world and you must respond to him. So this morning, we're going to spend just a few moments in the Gospel of John in chapter 20. Now, the Gospel of John is an eyewitness account of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And in chapter 20, we see three things about the resurrection of Jesus that I'd like us to explore briefly this morning. The first thing we see is that the resurrection was a real event. There are a number of details in this passage that we read that show us The resurrection is not simply an idea or wishful thinking, but a real historical event, that it really happened in human history. And the first is the curious fact of the empty tomb. Now, Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' followers, she arrives at Jesus' tomb early on Sunday morning, and she has come not to celebrate a resurrection, but to mourn the death of a friend. But when she arrives, she sees that the stone to Jesus' tomb, the heavy stone door, has been rolled back. And when she peers inside, she sees that the tomb is empty. There is no corpse. Now, alarmed at what this might mean, she runs to get help. She finds Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples. And when they come to the tomb, they find exactly what Mary has described, an empty tomb. They also notice that the linen that Jesus had been wrapped in, his body, it's not there lying in a mess on the ground, but it's neatly folded in place on the stone. Now, these are odd details to include if you're writing a fable or a myth or making up a story, but not if you're recounting things as they actually happened. And so here's the dilemma that is facing these first eyewitnesses. Two days ago, Jesus Christ was dead and buried. And now, his tomb is empty and his linen clothes 
are lying there neatly folded. And so what has happened? Notice what Mary thinks has happened. Twice, she says in the passage, they have taken him. They've stolen him. Now, it's not clear who the they are. Maybe it's the authorities who hated Jesus. Maybe the grave robbers. Maybe the gardener. Either way, Mary assumes that the body of Jesus has been stolen. Now, this happened around 33 AD, around 2,000 years ago, which tells us that people back then didn't automatically jump to a supernatural conclusion. They're not simple and naive like we often assume they were. No, Mary concludes like we probably would have. If a dead body is not where you left it, then a living person has probably done something with it. So what's happened? Why is Jesus' tomb empty? Was the body taken by the religious authorities who hated Jesus, who had Jesus crucified? Well, if it was, then when talk about his resurrection began to circulate around town, all they had to do was to present the body and put an end to it. Did the women go to the wrong tomb, as some people have suggested? Did they get lost, which I'm not going to make any comment on? (laughs) Now, apart from the fact that the women had already been to the tomb, they knew where it was. Even if, if they did, then surely at some point someone would have checked. The tomb of Jesus was owned by one of the most prominent politicians of the time. It could have been easily accessed and the women's mistake revealed. What about did Jesus recover in the tomb? Perhaps, as some have suggested, he didn't really die on the cross, but merely fell unconscious and was buried and then later revived and walked out of the tomb. I'll leave it to historian John Dixon to respond to this one. He writes, he says, modern scholars are a bit embarrassed that this argument was ever used. The more we've learnt about Roman execution in this period, the more impossible it looks that Jesus just got better in the tomb, let alone convinced his friends that he was powerfully alive and well. Maybe Jesus' disciples stole the body and made up the story. Did they pull off the greatest hoax of all time? Philosopher Peter Kreeft says, why would the apostles, the disciples, lie? Liars always lie for selfish reasons. If they lied, what was their motive? What did they get out of it? What they got out of it was misunderstanding, rejection, persecution, torture, and martyrdom, death. Hardly a list of perks. Now, if the disciples had become rich and famous for their claims about Jesus, it would be easier to believe that they stole the body and made up the story. But the opposite is true. They were considered heretics and traitors by their fellow Jews. They were taken to court. They were thrown in prison. They were executed in barbaric ways for their faith in the risen Jesus. And why would they die violently, painfully, for something they knew was a lie? As Blaise Pascal once said, I believe those witnesses that get their throat cut. Now, none of these explanations seem to sufficiently account for the empty tomb on that Sunday morning. Which leads us to the second detail in this passage that suggests the resurrection was a real event. And that is that women were the first eyewitnesses. 
In all four biographies of Jesus' life, women are recorded as being the first ones to arrive at the tomb on that Sunday morning. Now, this may sound pretty unremarkable to us. I mean, why does that matter? But in the first century, this was incredibly significant. See, in that day, a woman's testimony was considered untrustworthy. Now, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling you what they believed. (laughs) I mean, women were not even allowed to give evidence in a court of law. And so if you were trying to make up a story about a man who had been raised from death, which on the surface is implausible enough, why would you make up the fact that women were the first eyewitnesses? Unless that's just what actually happened. Which leads us to the third detail, and that is Jesus' appearances to many different witnesses. Here, Jesus appears first to Mary, then to his disciples, then to Thomas and his disciples. And other parts of the Bible tell us that he appeared to many different people in many different places. Sometimes individually, sometimes in groups, even up to 500 people at a time. And so when we put together the fact of the empty tomb on that Sunday morning, the reality that women were the first eyewitnesses, the fact that Jesus went on to appear to many different people at many different times, we can conclude with a degree of certainty that the resurrection of Jesus was a real event. But the resurrection is far more than just a historical event for us to discuss and to admire. Because the resurrection has ongoing significance for our lives because it is a real victory for us. It has accomplished something for you and for me. You know, after Jesus appeared to Mary at the tomb, he then appeared to his disciples later that night. And twice he says to them, peace be with you. Now this could just be Jesus giving his disciples a bit of reassurance who were surely confused and afraid. But Jesus' words also summarize what his resurrection has accomplished for us. The resurrection of Jesus has brought us real peace with a real God. The death of Jesus on the cross paid the penalty for our sin, our rejection of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. To reject God, the source of life, is to choose death. But then when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, he proved to us once and for all that our sin really has been paid for, that death really has been defeated, and that life with God really is on offer in him. And there are countless people in this room that would testify to the life-giving power of Jesus' resurrection. Many of us could come up here right now and stand where I'm standing and testify because we have been changed by the risen Jesus. He has given us freedom and forgiveness. He's given us life with God. He's given us hope for the future. The resurrection of Jesus is a real victory. And because it's a real victory from a real God, it has made a real impact in this world. You see, not only have we been changed by the risen Jesus, but the disciples were changed by the risen Jesus. One author writes and says, he says, the resurrection led to the birth of the most powerful movement the world has ever seen. A movement that outlasted empires and spread to almost every language and culture on the planet, the church. You see, immediately after Jesus died, his disciples were disillusioned, depressed, and scattered. And then something happened. 
that led them to being fearless and willing to die for their faith in Jesus. And it led to an explosive growth of the church. A movement that continues to this day. And you have to wonder what caused such a dramatic change in the disciples. What caused such an explosive growth in the church? Could it be that the disciples really did witness the risen Jesus and that the risen Jesus still is working today in and through his church? John Dixon, one historian, says, How did a small group of uneducated Jewish people become so adamant about their leader's resurrection that they confidently claimed, proclaimed, debated, stood trial, suffered, and in some cases died for that claim? And how on earth did devout first century Jews, who naturally avoided other races and nations, begin the largest, most international and multicultural religion in the world? If the resurrection is fiction and fable, if you believe that, then you have to come up with some plausible explanation for the change in the disciples, the explosive growth of the church, and the resilience of the church. The most likely explanation seems to be that the tomb really was empty on that Sunday morning. That Jesus really was raised from death. That Jesus really did appear to his disciples and many others. Because the resurrection is a real event. It's a real victory which has had a real impact in the world. It's changed people and it is still changing people to this day. And this is why the resurrection is also a real invitation to all of us. You know, Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples, but he was not present that night when Jesus first appeared to them. And when he's told by the other disciples that they had seen the risen Jesus, he responds as many of us might have done. Really? You sure? I'm going to need to see some proof. I'm going to need to, to put my finger in the, the nail holes in his hand and, and the spear hole in his side. And this is amazing because this tells us the first person to doubt that Jesus had really been raised. It was not a skeptical enemy. It was a skeptical fan, follower. I mean, Thomas knew Jesus intimately. He'd eaten meals with him. He'd listened to his teaching. He'd seen him do miracles. And even after this, he refuses to believe that Jesus had been raised. Even after his closest friends have told him that they've seen Jesus, he says, I will not believe unless I see for myself. Now, I'm not sure if he actually expected to get the proof he was asking for. But one week later, he gets the shock of his life. Jesus once again appears to the disciples, and this time Thomas is present. Now, can you imagine what might have been going through Thomas's mind? He's probably thinking, man, I am in for it. Jesus is going to scold me. He's going to reject me. And Jesus comes to him, simply shows Thomas his hands, shows Thomas his side, invites him to feel the wounds, and says to him, stop doubting and believe. Jesus invites Thomas to believe in him, to believe that he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God and the Saviour of the world, and that he has accomplished what he said he would, that through his death and resurrection we can have forgiveness of sin, hope for the future, and life with God. And Thomas's response is simple but profound. My Lord and my God. And this is the only proper response to the resurrection of Jesus. 
It's to submit to him as your Lord and your God. And so what's your response? Will you bow before the risen Jesus and say, my Lord and my God? Will you receive life from God through him freely and forever? Jesus' invitation is still the same to us today. Stop doubting and believe. Because the resurrection of Jesus is a real event. There's all the evidence that we would expect to see if there really was a resurrection. An empty tomb and many people claiming to have seen the risen Jesus. It really is a real victory. A victory over sin, Satan, evil and death. And it has made a real impact in the world. But you can't just stop there. You can't just admire the resurrection as a historical event. You can't just admire the power of the resurrection in other people's lives. Because it's a real invitation to you as well. Stop doubting and believe. And if you will believe in Jesus, he promises you that you will be blessed. He said this to Thomas in verse 29. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If you have placed your faith in Jesus... You can walk out of here this morning with the assurance that you are blessed, that your sins are forgiven, that you have hope for the future and life with God forever. Or if you're more like Thomas before he saw Jesus, if you're thinking, I need a bit more proof, I need a bit more information, I need a bit more time, can I invite you to come back next Sunday? You know, Jesus is still risen next Sunday and we're going to celebrate that again. And we're going to celebrate by kicking off a new sermon series called Meeting Jesus. We would love to introduce you and tell you more about this Jesus who has changed our lives and changed the world. Because this is the truth that we believe with all of our hearts, that he is risen. He is risen indeed. And because that is really true, it really has changed everything for our good and for the glory of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we simply praise you and thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. You have done everything for us. You have done what we could not do. We were dead in our trespasses and sin. And in Christ, you have made us alive. Alive to you. Alive to everything else. And Lord, we walk out of this place this morning if our faith is in Jesus with the assurance that we know you and that we're blessed. And Lord, for those of you who are not sure, for those of us here this morning that are not sure about Jesus, Lord, we ask and pray that you might lead us in the coming days and in the coming weeks to find out more about who Jesus is and that we ask, Lord, that you might open eyes and soften hearts to see the truth and the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, church, and close our service in song.